0: So Cindy bakes a chocolate cake and it's sitting right there in the middle of the kitchen table. I've already had two big pieces, you know. And you can tell I don't need two big pieces of chocolate cake, but it's still sitting there, you know, and I and I tell myself, don't eat any more, you know. But you know what? I go to the other part of the house and I'm thinking about that chocolate cake and oh man, I go back and get me another piece of chocolate cake. Although I want to quit, I can't. And so I do what I didn't want to do. I think all of us have those kinds of experiences. And and if you're like me, the extra pounds show that you have failed to quit when you knew you should have quit. But that's the challenge and that's what we keep battling with. Those kinds of seemingly uncontrollable urges That's what we're talking about, but I want to suggest to you that it's much more serious when sin is involved, and that's what we want to talk about in our lesson this morning. What should I do about the sin that I just can't seem to quit? It's a plaguing thing. It keeps recurring. Something that I know I shouldn't do, and I don't want to do it, but it seems like I always fall back into that same trap. What do I do about the sin that I cannot quit? That will be our study this morning. Thanks for being here today. What a beautiful day we have. What a great opportunity to be together in the worship of God. It makes this a very special day to be sure. And we're glad that you've chosen to be a part of this. Thanks for coming this morning, joining in this period of worship. We pray that God will be glorified by our worship service this morning. We think that we do that by carefully trying to worship Him as He has prescribed in the pages of the New Testament. And so as we worship together this morning here at College View, we will be trying to do everything based upon the authority we find in the Word of God. And if you wonder why we're doing something this way or have questions about that, please ask. And we'll try to give a a Bible answer and explain uh, our methodology because we're trying to do just what God said, just the way that he said. We're grateful for everyone here. We're glad for our visitors. Thanks for coming. Please come again whenever you can. What about this sin that I cannot quit? You know, this, this idea of something that has been plaguing me for some time. It's a recurring thing, maybe. I've I've fallen victim to this uh, several times. And maybe even uh, I've tried to get past it, but it seems like I kind of keep slipping back. What do I do about a situation like that? I think a lot of Christians deal with that sort of feeling. How would we answer? Well, first of all, I think we should stress that sin, obviously, is a universal problem. It's easy for any individual to get down, get depressed, and maybe feel like you're the only one who's ever had to deal with a thing like you're dealing with. But that's simply not true. Uh, your situation is unique in, in particular's, but in general, all of us are always battling sin. In fact, on a daily, continual basis, we're at war with Satan, and we have to, we have to fight this fight. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Verse 20, wise Solomon said, There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Solomon said, search the world over if you want to, but you're not going to find one who hasn't sinned. And so everybody is dealing with this problem. We wouldn't want you to think that you're unique or different in that regard. You are dealing with sin like we all are dealing with sin. Understand that. In Isaiah chapter 53, in the passage that Anthony read for us earlier, the very famous prophecy of Isaiah 53 about the redemptive work that Jesus would do on the cross of Calvary. It's a beautiful text. We we read it often. Uh, men, when they lead us in observing the Lord's Supper, often read from Isaiah chapter 53. It's an amazing text talking about what Jesus would do when he went to the cross and how he suffered and bled and died. Why? Why was that all necessary? Well, it was necessary because what's said there in verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross of Calvary. That's why his blood had to be shed. Notice, because all we like sheep have gone astray. And so this is certainly a universal problem. In Psalm 130, verse 3. Psalm 130, verse 3 says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Notice, uh, the psalmist is saying, If God kept a record of what we deserve based upon what we have done no one could stand now uh, certainly we believe that god uh, is, is aware of and 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 can re- certainly call to our account the sins we've committed i don't think this text is denying that god does know our sins but it is suggesting that for all of us if god kept a record of the sins in in the sense of which he was going to reward us or 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 deal out to us what we deserve, no one could stand. And so we're just using those verses to stress. If you're dealing with a particular sin in your life, maybe a recurring problem in your life, please understand that all are dealing with sin. It is a universal problem. Further, then, we would suggest what you need to do is stop making excuses about that. Um, We're all pretty good at excuse-making, I think as Christians, I think that Christians sometimes are excellent excuse makers for their, their failures. They excuse themselves for one reason or another. But you know, excuses are just that, and excuses are not legitimate reasons typically for why we're failing. I remember the old story, I've probably told it before, but the old story of a, a fellow who was out working in the field with his young son, and his neighbor came. And his neighbor asked him, he said, can I borrow your axe? And the man said, no. He said, we're having soup for supper. So the guy said, okay, well, thank you anyway. And he went his way. And and after he was gone, the, the young son said to his dad, he said, what do you mean? He asked for an ax. And you said he couldn't have it because we're eating soup for supper. And his dad explained. He says, when you don't want to do something, one excuse is as good as another. And that's the truth, right? That's the truth. And unfortunately, spiritually, that's the case too. Sometimes we make just silly excuses. I, I, I tell you what, if, if we could hear ourselves as others hear us, making silly, flimsy excuses for our spiritual failures, it would be awful. We need to stop making excuses. Sin's a terrible problem. We're battling sin. Making excuses doesn't help at all. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus told of a man who invited others to a great feast that he had prepared. you know this story? In Luke chapter 14, beginning verse 17, he sent his servants... He sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. Notice, they were going to excuse themselves why they couldn't come. Well, what was the reaction of that man who had done the initial inviting? In verse 24, he said, I say to you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And so in this story that Jesus told, the man who had invited, and then everybody started making excuses why they couldn't come. You say, well, they're just not going to participate in what I've provided. The lesson, of course, is about God Himself. This is how God views our excuses. When we try to excuse ourselves in the in the serious matter of soul-damning sin, God sees it that way. Excuse yourself if you will, but it's not going to stand with Him. And your excuses are going to cause Him not to give you the blessings that He wants to give. Stop making excuses. Beyond that... And closely associated with it is don't try to cover it up either. Don't make excuses and don't try to cover it up. In the news, we frequently hear of this, but even this, just this, this past week in the news, there was a story of a, of a prominent politician who it has been discovered paid lots of money. They called it hush money. He paid lots of money to someone to keep some information about him secret. He had, he had, he had been engaged in some serious misconduct and he was paying money to keep it covered up, right? What do we, what do you know about that? Well, you know about it now, right? So how successful were his efforts to cover it up? I think he paid several million dollars to try and keep it covered up, but it's not covered up anymore, right? And that's typically what happens with cover-ups. Cover-ups don't work and we need to understand that that is so. Now, they might work, and you might be able to hide something from your fellow men, but you're definitely not going to keep it hidden from God, and that's the key point. Even if you could succeed in keeping something covered up from to uh, to other men, you're never going to hide it from God, and we need to realize that. In Proverbs 28, verse 13, "...he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy." Notice, it's not going to work, you're not going to prosper, by trying to hide or cover up your sins. I want you to think about these last couple things we've mentioned. Making excuses and trying to cover up our sins. I think those efforts indicate that maybe we're not appreciating the truth, the real truth about God. And the real truth about God is that He's long-suffering, merciful, and forgiving. Uh, God has... An unimaginable, incomprehensible capacity to forgive. And we, when we when we try to make excuses and when we try to cover up our sins, it's like we are not aware of the fact that we're dealing with a God who lovingly wants to forgive us if we'll seek His forgiveness. God is not like man. God is much better and higher and more noble than man. And His His capacity to forgive is just overwhelming. In First John chapter one verse nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a great promise uh, that God has made to us. Um, and as Christians, we need to know that we have this promise from Him—that He will forgive us our sins. It is conditional. Clearly, this passage teaches that there's certain conditions for us to meet: confess our sins. We have to to deal with it. We can't excuse it. We can't cover it up. But if we will confess our sins as Christians, this is a a verse addressed to those who are already in Christ, there's a great promise that God will forgive us. In Matthew 18, there's an episode from the life of Jesus when Peter came to him. And Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. You know, you've got to believe that Peter thought he was being pretty magnanimous to suggest, my brother sins against me, I'm going to forgive him seven times. I, I, I mean, I'm going the extra mile to forgive as much as seven times. Jesus said, no, that's not nearly enough. He says, till seven times seventy. That's 490. So what am I to do? Am I supposed to start marking this down? I've forgiven this guy. I'm, I'm up to 386, 410, 493. No, no we would go past one. Oh, no, I don't have to forgive 493 times because 7 times 70 is 490 and I can stop. We know that's not the case. We know that's not what Jesus had in mind. He, Jesus was suggesting unlimited forgiveness and we need to be like that. Now, my point in that is... If that's what we're instructed to do and we're fallible men and we have a hard time with forgiveness. What does that say about God? If He, if we're expected to forgive that way, what do you think God does? God is a loving, merciful, forgiving God. And so as I'm dealing with this issue in my life, maybe it's a recurring, plaguing kind of sin that I'm trying to deal with. I need to know that God is long-suffering, merciful and forgiving. Now... We need to have trust in that. We need to trust God's power and His promises. A lot of times when we're talking about God, we'll use the descriptive, the Almighty God. Well, those are not just empty words. When we talk about Almighty God, we're talking about the great power of God, unlimited power of God, right? There's nothing that He can't do. Now, if that's true, and it is, that God is an Almighty God then I would argue that when God makes promises to us, that He can keep Him. When He promises to do something for us, He will do it. And the Scriptures give us some real confidence and assurance in regards to dealing with these issues in our life. For instance, in First John chapter 4, verse 4, we're told, Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. We mentioned earlier we're at a constant battle with Satan. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says he is our adversary. He stalks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may may devour. So, we have a real spiritual enemy out there. There's no doubt about that. But here, look at this. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. God is greater than Satan. We have a a greater power on our side. We need to have confidence in that power of God to help us overcome our spiritual battles. In 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 13... It says, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, we've got a powerful God, more powerful than any other power on earth, and He promises us that He's going to make it possible for us to endure our temptations, make a way of escape, so that we can bear whatever temptations come our way. Do you believe in the powerful God? Do you you believe in the promise that He's made? And if you do then, in regards to this sin that you feel that you can't deal with, just trust in His power and His promises. You can do this. God says that you can and that He will assist you in the doing of it. Alright. So as you look at that list so far, again, we're talking about this sin that just seems to be overwhelming. And it... and even though I try my best, it keeps recurring in my life. And I try to put it behind me and then I go along for a while and it seems to be going okay and then I slip in into that same sinful pattern again. What am I going to do about that? Well, we suggested several things that I I trust will help us. Know that you're not alone in that. All men deal with sin. It's a universal problem. Don't excuse it. Don't try to cover up. Trust God's power and promises in regards to helping us deal with those things. Now, as I look at that list, I think the danger uh, might be the misimpression that we're saying this is not a big deal. You know, okay, so what? you get got sin. And you keep committing the same sin. Don't worry about it. No big deal. I, w- I wouldn't want anything that we've said to this point to leave anyone with the impression that it is unimportant or insignificant. It's very important. You know, through the years, there have been some people who developed some false religious doctrines along this line. And, and there has been one. There's been a historic doctrine a false doctrine that has been taught and held that we serve God with our heart and mind but our physical bodies are just going to do what they do you know and so i'm going to, i sin with my body but i serve God with my 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 mind no that's not right that's an attempt to minimize the significance of sin we don't want to minimize the significance of sin and so what else do we say about this sin that i'm that i'm battling in my life well I think we need to use the spiritual tools that are revealed in God's Word. God gives us some some real helps. It's not just subjective, you know, idea. There's, some, there, there's just some real objective things that we can do. For instance, obviously one of the things we can do is pray about it. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I'm convinced that, as Christians, we do not fully appreciate the powerful tool of prayer that we have. And I wouldn't want to ask a survey of people about how often you pray or how frequently you use prayer in your daily life, but my guess is that for most of us, it's a lot less than it ought to be. We need to pray. Prayer is powerful in so many different ways, but it's especially powerful in regards to this problem we're talking about this morning, the sin that seems to keep coming up. Pray about it. Deal with it. Talk to God in prayer about it. Another thing that's mentioned in the Scripture that I don't think we talk about often enough is fasting. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5, Paul says, give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Often fasting and prayer are linked together. Um, It may well be that for all of us, uh, we need to think more seriously about using fasting as a tool to help us spiritually. Um, I don't think fasting is mandated in the Scripture, but it's often mentioned in the Scripture and linked almost always with prayer. And so, if we're dealing with a really serious problem in our life, this, this sin that I can't seem to get a control of in my life, prayer and fasting might certainly be appropriate to deal with that. Studying God's Word is definitely necessary. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Notice that. That almost almost directly answers our question we're talking about this morning, doesn't it? I don't want to sin against God. What What does this verse say I do so that I won't sin against God? Hide His word in my heart. Well, I can't hide His word in my heart if I'm not busy studying His word. And so, to keep from sinning, I need to spend more time In the study of God's Word, that will help for sure, and it's not just sort of a a speed reading course through the Bible. If you ever you ever known anybody, I, I never took one of those speed reading courses, but I know some that did. My brother did years ago when he was in college. He had so much material to cover. He took a speed reading course so he could get through it all. And when you do speed reading, a lot of times those courses actually suggest you use your finger, and you go down the and you're reading whole pages just like that. I wonder how much you're getting out of that. Well, I guess obviously enough maybe to pass a cursory test of the material, but I bet it's quickly forgotten if you don't spend any more time in it than that. What does the Word of God suggest? Not only read and study it, but to meditate upon it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning verse 13, Give attendance to reading. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. I think we... Uh, when we think of meditation today, we think about it, uh, almost have redefined the term. We think about somebody, you know, sitting cross-legged with his arms folded and maybe ch- humming a chant over and over again, some kind of a repetitive phrase. And, he's, and, and that's meditation, you know. Well, that's not this kind of meditation. This kind of meditation is talking about seriously considering the truths that are in God's Word. It's not just a cursory reading. It's not speed reading through the Bible. It's reading the Bible and then carefully thinking about it, making sure we understand it, and then considering how we can make application of it in our lives. And so we really need to meditate upon the Word of God. So we've suggested prayer and maybe prayer linked with fasting to try to overcome this sin, certainly studying God's Word, seriously meditating upon the Word of God, all of those things that go into it. But I'll tell you another powerful tool that that is in our tool bag as we're trying to overcome sin in our lives and that's our brethren. We just studied this text in our Sunday morning lesson in Bible class but i remind you again, Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We have a great resource in our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, use that resource if you're having an issue i think in our bible class this morning bonnie said be willing to swallow your pride and and confess to your brethren that you need help dealing with this and let them help you bear that burden you know i i can't bear your burden if i don't know what your burden is i need to know you but i also need to know what your burden is and if you tell me i maybe can be more help and vice versa by the way if i tell you my struggles maybe you can help me with mine But we've got to be willing to use that resource. As we said in class this morning, this is a powerful thing that God has designed into the church for our well-being. That we have brothers and sisters in Christ who can help us and encourage us along the way. All of those things that we just mentioned, I would suggest are in the realm of spiritual tools that are revealed in God's Word that we can use to deal with this problem of sin. And then finally... Let me suggest to you, just don't give up. Don't give up. You remember the famous quote from Winston Churchill as Great Britain was facing all the terrors of World War II and he was to give a speech and everybody anticipated it was going to be a great oratorical thing. And Churchill just simply said, Never, never, never give up. And that was the whole of the speech. And it's been well-remembered. Uh, through the years since. That's what we need to do. Just never give up. We're, we're, in a, we're in a battle. We're struggling. And it's a recurring battle. It comes back again and again. It's never really gone. Um, it's tempting to give up. Just to give up. And unfortunately, some people do. And we've known folks who have. Just absolutely given up. But That's not the answer to the problem. Keep on keeping on. Don't ever give up. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Let us not be weary in well-doing. It's easy to get weary. Uh, And obviously, uh, the Apostle Paul, by inspiration here, acknowledged that. It's possible to get worn down, just weary with the struggle we're dealing with. But he said, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so what do I do about this sin that I can't quit? Well, we try to offer several suggestions, and we wonder if it might describe anyone here this morning. Are you dealing with this sin that you can't seem to overcome? If that's the case, understand that there is help for this and that most importantly of all, God is a loving, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, forgiving Creator. And He wants to have a relationship with you. And so, take advantage of all that and all that we tried to mention from God's Word this morning. Are you subject to the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian already, but you've not been faithfully serving Him? Why would you want to linger in that condition any longer? Come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, we'd love to pray with you and for you this morning. If you're not yet a Christian, if you've never obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation, hear the truth, and that's, that plan is, by the way, hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've never done that, we're ready to assist you. Uh, we'd be ready to study with you more if you need that, uh, before you make your decision. If there's anything we can do to help, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Bye-bye.